Thursday, and welcome back to another exciting minute of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, uh, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host. I'm Chris Henry from the EAA Aviation Museum. And Chris, this is our last moment, or the last minute that we deal with uh, the Lem guy, the Grumman guy. <laughs> Thank it's, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he is just a bad representative of Grumman. And I, I want to set the record straight in this episode with uh, with a reading from the uh, the book of Tom Kelly, who, uh, you know, Tom Kelly was the manager of this whole program. And uh, he, th- he wrote about uh, Apollo 13 and even something like the Mid-Course Correction, of which there were two. Um, but what I want to read to is his book, Moonlander, which is a great book. If you have... I mean, we, we have a lot of space nerds, space geeks, space hipsters out there that you probably have a shelf full of these kind of books. <laughs> but if you ever want to fill in, um, I think, and I know on the Dewey Decimal System, it's always 629.43. That's that's where I was head first in any library to see what their 629.43 is uh, set up. But this is uh, Tom, Tom Kelly's book, Moonlander. Uh, he says, <laughs> ever since the LEMS guidance system had been powered down, Grumman's Guidance, navigation, and control experts had been discussing uh, these problems with their counterparts at NASA and the MIT Instrumentation Laboratory. Whenever someone suggested a technique that appeared to hold promise, it was assigned to an available laboratory to determine whether it could provide the required accuracy. Our flight control laboratory in Bethpage, with its flight attitude table of LEM, GNC gyros, accelerometers, and other internal guidance components floating on a frictionless air bearing was used to check out one such suggestion. From the nationwide fraternal endeavor came a practical solution. The crew would visually align their optical sight with the center of the Earth being on the rocket burn, a technique that Jim Lovell himself had verified between the months earlier with an in-flight experiment on Apollo 8. Skillfully keeping the Earth centered on the LEMS window during the 14-second descent engine rocket firing, Lovell and Hayes executed a perfect trajectory adjustment. A day and a half later, the one that isn't in the movie, a second smaller uh, adjustment was performed by burning the LEM reaction control jets while using the same sighting technique to offset a further unexplained flattening of the trajectory reentry angle. In the Bethpage Mission Support Center, we were exhilarated at the success of the trajectory corrections and heartened by our, our ability to participate in solving a problem that was far outside the normal scope of activity. Reentry was not a lunar module concern. The fragile LEM with no protection, protective heat shield must be jettisoned before reentry to be burned up uh, like a meteoroid flashing across the sky. In that time of crisis, the whole space program all across America was enmeshed seamlessly together to do the seemingly impossible, it was a personal proud moment for all of us. So, I the the idea that that Grumman was you know backing away from NASA and saying no 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 we can't do it it's all outside of our ability apologies all around that's just utter nonsense and I think you know that that's the that's really the saddest part to me about Apollo yeah. 13 that they didn't honor the the legacy of, of the, and the talent of Grumman 
and and also that team spirit that you know these guys were contractors but arguing with north america or you know north american rockwell and are arguing with uh with grumman sure they had disputes but i think this team especially in the post apollo one era they realized that it wasn't all for one one for all uh endeavor yeah um, and i think you're right i think that uh that uh that's just a big opportunity missed in the movie however at least they 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 write it in the miniseries uh you know but um and i think i mean i i guess i get it and i had talked to gene Kranz about it and gene said that you know he felt that it was just you know it was probably just comic relief uh it was a way of storytelling he goes but god i really wish they would have you know they would have told the real the real grumman guy's story you know and and it would have been neat to even have a you know a side portion of this where they fade, they fade over to you know Long Island and they're trying to work out their stuff in New York or something. But uh, but then as we're talking about it, we're talking about minute one hundred four of a movie, so you know that would become a very long movie, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we 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 would probably sit through the four hour version. Of this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, many, not many other people would. I, I, yeah, it just it it. It's the part of the movie that irks me the most, and and, and other, other than that, it's a it's a great film, and it really it shows you what they were facing. I mean, trying to steer a tiny little uh, rocket ship to make it back home, and it's the the speeds that it's traveling at are incredible, and trying to make all those adjustments by hand with you know just your eyeball and your hand on the throttle, uh, it's it's still an astonishing feat. But it it wasn't. You know, it wasn't just the astronauts up in up in the ship. It were it was the, the thousands of people on the ground doing the calculations and figuring it out and you know, pushing that that tiny little uh, bit of information up to them so they could get the job done. Uh, but there was a lot, you know, a lot of homework had to be done on the side that we that you never. See. It's it's like when you're at a restaurant and you see like a steak and you know and a and a potato and a piece of parsley. Well, the thing that got the steak and the potato and the piece of parsley to, uh, parsley to your plate. Is you know you don't see all that, but there's lots of yeah. stuff going on in the background. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know that was interesting. You mentioned that when we were opening the Borman exhibit, um, I remember when we were in the stages where we were writing the the script that was going to go on the walls, which is pretty neat, by the way. It's pretty neat when you write something and then you come back later and see it on the wall in a museum. Yeah. Um, but I remember you know we we ran everything by Frank because we're like we don't want to put anything in there that that he doesn't. Had approve of or he hadn't seen first and i remember his exact words were um i want to make sure that we honor the over four hundred thousand people that worked on apollo and he's like yeah. i don't want it to be just about me like because he's like i felt like i was just tip of the iceberg you know and uh i was like well i you know he was like i was the part that everybody got to see but there were a lot of people that worked in the background Wow. Yeah, and, and it's and that's the feeling I get from every time you talk to an astronaut. They talk about all the people that they work with. Um, there was the famous thing that Gus Grissom had talked about uh, with you know showing up at at the uh, well back back when he was working on, on the Mercury flights and he showed up at the McDonnell Douglas plant and he he wasn't good at speechifying. He wasn't a great speech maker and he swore a lot but he was trying they they had him go out to uh to mcdonald douglas to give a, a pep talk to the to the employees and he looked out over the crowd and he just said do good work <laughs> and 
everybody there started applauding and cheering because it was like, yeah, it's it's you know little Gus's butt on the line when you 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 guys are putting him in space and everything that you're doing is to make sure that guy up there on the uh, you know on the balcony comes back alive. Um, I think everybody had that had that feeling in there, and uh, you know I'm, I'm sure the the elation of of seeing them c- come through that 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 moment once they uh, you know we're getting ahead of ourselves in the minutes, but the moment when they. Uh, when they showed up on on screen coming down into the Pacific, uh, must have been just such a, a a feeling of accomplishment like none other, even possibly even more than the moon landing. Oh, absolutely! I, you know, I I always think that the the space program during the Apollo time frame had to be somewhat similar to everybody coming together like they did during the World War II era. Yeah, you know where I, I mean I know there were people who actually were not a fan of the space program. Um, there were people who were not afraid of or uh, a fan of us entering World War II either. Um, but I think in the long run, um, that was a big uh, – I, I think everybody wanted to be part of it if they could. And um, who – you know, my dad was a steel worker. Yeah. Uh, not during the Apollo program, of course. Uh, he was in Vietnam. But, uh, um, but you know, when he came home, he, he went back to work in the steel mill. And he built parts for the shuttle, um, for the launch. I think for the launch pads in the shuttle program, uh, mm-hmm. and for some supports. And he was so proud of that that something he worked on was going to go and support a system to fly in space. Like he was beyond geeked up because my dad wasn't a scientist. He wasn't, you know, uh, an astronaut or a test pilot. My dad was a steel worker, a blue collar steel worker. But he had a claim. He had a stake and flying in space and it was through what he could do and you know during apollo there were four hundred thousand people like that yeah and and you know it, it, you see little things like uh there's always the pictures the, the famous picture of when they completed the vehicle assembly building and they were putting the last beam in the roof of the building to you know to finish off the project and everybody that had worked on it uh or that could uh fit their name on it they wrote they they signed their names on an eye on the last eye beam that went in and that it that is the feeling whenever whenever you go with uh, folks that work for NASA or, or working in one of the NASA contracts, they have a personal investment in it like none other. I mean, we've all had we've all had jobs where you you go to work and you you do your job and you come home and if you know if, if you get laid off or something like that, it's like oh, I, I didn't do that much there when I was there. But when when you come home and you have that that sense of accomplishment and you see that accomplishment and it's even if it's you know six little flags on the on the surface of the moon that you know you there's something that you did that set set in motion a chain of events to make that occur I mean, it's, it's such a a feeling of completeness that it's it's difficult to describe in most you know in most lines of work yeah um, i'll tell you that i noticed it a lot when they had the apollo 11 command module traveling Mm-hmm. Um, it traveled to Pittsburgh, and I went home uh, to visit my mom, and uh, we lost Dad uh, about two years ago, uh, actually this week. So, mm-hmm. um, And uh, so I went back to visit Mom, and we went uh, to the Heinz History Center where the Apollo 11 command module was being displayed. And um, what I thought was really neat about that traveling exhibit is it wasn't the same exhibit everywhere you went. Yeah. Um, so in Pittsburgh, for example, it was the story of how the steel mills supported the space program. And I thought that was really cool. Like I had never seen a lot of the photos and, you know, and the stories behind that. It, it gave me some, uh, I guess a different insight and some different pride in the, to 
what my hometown did for the space program. What, uh, my friend uh, John Brown, who was a, a, a one of the heads of engineering for the Apollo and uh, and uh, shuttle early shuttle programs, uh, he worked in Houston at the Manned Space Center. And every time they had uh, a senator or a congressman or any visiting government dignitary in, they ask you know where are you from, and they'd say I'm from Oklahoma, and they'd bring them into this room, and they had a large map of the of the United States. And every state in the union, and it was very clever of NASA from a political point of view, but every state in the union, they had a list of what parts of which spacecraft were made and what town they were made in in their particular state. So you wow. could go, you, you know, you, you could go to, you could go there and you could show that, you know, in, in New Hampshire, the gloves for the Apollo uh, lunar, lunar exploration suits were, were sewn in New Hampshire, you know, th- and, you know, of course, you know, California you had Huntington Beach and building the, the, you know, the S4B and stuff. But every, every little state had a, had a little piece of this. And I, again, if you have, it's like going to a horse race when you had $2 on a, when you put $2 down on a horse, all of a sudden it's your race and it's your horse. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I remember how geeked out I was when I found out my uh, high school science teacher who was just, she's just an awesome person. Um, and I've, I've, you know, talked to her, you know, kept in touch with her since over the years. And um, she was telling me one day, like way after, you know, high school that, oh, yeah, like my dad uh, was one of the guys who helped build the lunar rover. You wow. know, and I'm like, really? Like, wow, that's that's, <laughs> you know, that's insane. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's cool stuff. And I, you know, something I want to point out, because I know that, you know, especially with for us, probably mostly with the Grumman depiction, um you know, we talk about the uh, uh, the, the stuff that, that kind of has bothered us a little bit with the film, but I, I want to say how awesome it is that we've we've literally dissected this film minute by minute for 104 minutes, and yeah, we found some bumps along the way that were like, eh, you know, wish they would have done this differently. But as a whole, it's still like we love this movie still. Like it is an awesome movie. And, and there's so many there's so many people that I've I've, I've talked to since we've started this uh, this show that said that they, you know, I mean, of a different age, but they, they were in like the sixth grade when they saw, they used to watch Apollo 13 all the time. Like when a substitute, you know, if, if their teacher was out sick, the substitute teacher would pop Apollo 13 into their DVD player and they'd watch Apollo 13. And from that, just watching Apollo 13 many times, they got interested in, in science and aeronautics and aerospace and are now working in the aerospace industry simply because they had watched this movie. The idea that you can watch a movie and be that inspired to go on to, you know, do what you want to do. Um, I mean, I don't know how many times you watch 12 o'clock high, but. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, I'll tell you a similar note was I did watch 12 o'clock high. I love 12 o'clock high. (laughs) I have the Toby mug in my. uh, Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, but uh, you know, another great one, it gets a lot of flack. (laughs) <laughs> literally, uh, and that is uh, Memphis Belle, 1990 oh, yeah. uh, film. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it's a lot of inaccuracies. You're, there are. There's a lot of inaccuracies in it, but it's 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 a pretty good movie, really. And um, it certainly depicts what life was like on board a B-17 during World War II. And, and it was it's filmed in such a romantic way that, I mean, as a kid seeing that, oh, man, like I watched that movie over and over and over again. And it really, you know, cemented my love of the B-17. And one of those things about that about that movie that I appreciate much is how young everybody was. You, 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 when 
when you see pictures of World War II vets, and I've, I've mentioned this before, when my dad came home from World War II and you look at pictures of him, he looks like an old man and he was 19. And <laughs> but, you know, it's like you see these, they were, they were kids that were, you know, pulled out of farms and, and schools and, and uh, factories across the country. And, you know, here's a, here's a machine gun and we're going to fly up and people are going to be shooting at you. Will you shoot back? Uh, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's, it, it's, it's hard to picture, you know, you, you try in your own life saying, well, gee, I was, you know, barely out of high school. I don't think I could wipe my nose properly with, you know, the, with what they were doing. Um, and, and that's the way, you know, mission control was set up a similar way. These, these guys were all either like right out of, right out of the military or they were in the military currently and they were in their, you know, twenties and thirties. And suddenly they had this gigantic project put in front of them and they had to figure out how to get, you know, 1962, they're told they're going to go to the moon or uh, 1961, they're told they're going to go to the moon. And by 1969, we had boots on the ground at, uh, yeah. at the city of tranquility by a bunch of base. I mean, to me, they're, <laughs> they're kids now, you know, it's yeah. like, these are young men do, doing all this work and young women too. So it, it it's, it, it's still, no matter what, when you see this movie, despite all the the, the 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 little flaws that we poke at, but that whole element still inspires us 50 years on. And to me, that's the most amazing part of this movie is that 50 years in, we're still um, striving to be like like the guys were in, uh, in Apollo 13. I think Gene Kranz uh, told me that the average age of a guy in mission control is 25. Wow. I think, I think that's what he told me. It was yeah. definitely young. It was 25, and I think he was 30. Uh, something like that. He was he was a young guy too. Like he wasn't that old. Um, I might be misquoting his age, but I know he told me like twenty five for the Mission Control guys. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know the the you know, Neil Armstrong landing on the moon. He was thirty seven. And it's like wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I gotta you know you, you say to yourself I gotta up my game. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean. It, uh, it, it's 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 a good you know it's good so, good stretch call. But, so it, it actually uh, let's see, at the time of Apollo thirteen, he was about uh, he was like mid thirties. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He was born in thirty three. So. Uh, but yeah, but you look at all I, people were older back then when they were young. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it was the smoking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the smoking and the stress and the yeah, gosh, you know, coffee, yeah, just yeah. black coffee. Yeah. Red meat and yeah, yeah, cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> Red meat, lot, high, highly marbled meat, and all that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can mix them all together and eat all of it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, 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 he was born in 33, so... Wow. I mean, when he started in in his career, he was late 20s in NASA career. Wow. You know, because you figure he started, what, 62, I think he started with NASA? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he was there for the first Mercury uh, flight so oh for sure yeah and chris craft too I mean, yeah all, yeah you know, so what, yeah what an era <laughs> yeah exactly and they're still with us you know i mean that's that's yeah. the uh, that's the, yeah. the best part so hopefully they'll still be with us when we get get them on our show yes uh, exactly exactly wow well uh this is a this is a pretty good movie i mean i think we I, I think for the last time we've set the record straight on on grumman so mission accomplished <laughs> on that part and uh, and we also have another uh, for those playing the drinking game at the end of this minute we have another gentleman. Every time somebody says gentleman, you take a drink. So I think this <laughs> I think this was number eight or nine. We've got another another gentleman or two coming up, but this, yeah, I think it was about eight. So if you're following along, take a shot. And uh, the uh, Gene Kranz gets to say gentleman on this one. So uh, anyway, we'll uh, we'll finish out the week tomorrow uh, as we talk about 
power consumption and more kinds of stuff like that. If you have uh, things that you'd like to talk about, you, about your personal role, if you have one in the space program, love to hear about it on our social media. Over on Facebook, you can talk to us back at uh, Apollo 13 Minutes Mission Control or on, uh, I keep forgetting Twitter, Twitter at Apollo 13 Minute. If you've missed any of our previous 103 minutes, now's the time to catch up because we're coming up to the last half hour of the show. So uh, go back to uh, our big site, Apollo13minute.com, Apollo13minute.com, and you can go listen to all the previous episodes. We've got summaries out there, cast lists, all, all the things you'd want to know that we haven't talked about uh, on the show out there at Apollo13minute.com. Anyway, it looks like we're coming up on Lost of Signal in about 30 seconds. So we'll see you here tomorrow, and we'll finish out the week here on the Apollo 13 Minute. Thank you.